Well, amen. Get ready. You're going to have to turn me down, I can tell you, brother. Hey, it is good to be here. Good to see everybody. And it's so good to see everybody personally because most of the time we're communicating through Facebook. I see a lot of y'all on Facebook and I'm liking y'all and y'all liking me. Facebook world, amen. And uh, so anyway, it's good to be back. Uh, Trip is sick, our little baby. Some of y'all don't know since the last time uh, I was here in this church, many of you probably already heard, but two years ago we had a new addition to our family. Uh, we thought we were done. God said, no, how about one more? And Kim said that if I want another child, I need to find me another wife. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we have a, a new addition, Reagan, and Reagan is a senior at Louisiana College uh, this year. She sings with the Voices of LC, travels every weekend singing, just like she did back whenever we were traveling around every, every weekend singing. Tyler's in uh, Georgia. He's with the Army, and he's working for a military company right now, and uh, so he's doing well. Uh, Tanner is a sophomore at uh, Gina High School, and Trace is in uh, sixth grader. He's 11 years old now. And then we have little baby Trip. And somebody said, how in the words you come up with the name Trip? And the only thing I could say is I figured as old as we were having a child that young, life's going to be a trip. Amen? So that's where we're at. But anyway, Trip is sick. That's the reason Kim is not here and the boys are going on a youth function tonight. But I'm glad I'm here. Amen? So look at your neighbor, smile at one another and say, this is going to be fun tonight. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm excited about being here. You may not be excited about me being here, but I'm excited about being here. For one thing, I didn't have to drive very far today. Amen? Normally, every Sunday morning, I'm up sometimes at the crack of dawn, driving two hours, three hours to go preach and start revivals and things. So it was nice to be able to be right here and to see so many. And see, here's the thing about this. Not only are we brothers and sisters in Christ, so we're family already, but we're doubly family because I'm one of you. I'm a Gina Knight, amen? So you got to love me no matter what I preach. Even if I get on what you do and you still got to love me, right? Well, we're not going to do that. In fact, this is going to be kind of a different message. I'm, I'm, I'm known as one of those hellfire brimstone preachers. Everywhere I go, they say, you one of them old-timey preachers. But this is one of these messages that, that, that I believe God has used and will use to move us somewhere. And uh, if, if we're not going forward, we're going backwards. How many of you know that? Amen? There is no neutral in Christianity. If you're not pressing forward, then you're going backwards. And so tonight what I want us to do is I want us to look at the story of Elijah and Elisha. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to look at this this, uh, the final moments, the final few days of these, uh, two individuals where they were together before Elijah was taken away into heaven. And we're gonna see if we can learn some stuff tonight. Amen. I, 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 I like it to be able to, to pull some things out of the Word. Amen. I like for us to see what God has for us. Cause I believe there's not one single mistake in the Word of God. Do y'all believe that? I don't believe, I believe that every word is there for a reason. Everything is there for a purpose. And there is a reason it's there. And I believe that that reason is for our edification, for us to learn how to grow and be closer to Him. So are y'all ready tonight? Amen. Now I could, I could go on and talk about everything going on. God's doing a lot of great things in the ministry and a lot of different stuff. Look on Facebook. You see it all, man. We got a ministry in Honduras that's just exploding and all kind of stuff. But let's get into the Word. I'm ready for that. Amen? So here we go. 2 Kings chapter 2. Here's what the Bible says. 
And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Again, tarry here, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood, the two stood, by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they went over on dry ground. And it came to pass that while they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass that as they went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also had smitten the waters, they were parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him. They said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And God, I pray as a result of looking at your word, that you will change every person in this place tonight. God, I pray that you'll help us see where we really are with you. Help us to see where we're at in our walk with you, in our stage of Christianity life with you. So Father, help us, dear God, to recognize where we're at. And Lord, help us determine to keep going and to go further and to be the Elishas of this day. Lord, I don't ask for you to help me tonight, dear God. It's beyond that. God, I pray that you do it. So, Father, will you do tonight what only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Elijah and Elisha's relationship was kind of like a father-son type thing. It was kind of like a Paul and Timothy relationship. Elijah, the older prophet, had taken on Elisha, the younger prophet, under his wing and began to train him and teach him all the ways of being a prophet, how to seek God, how to spend time with God, how to live a holy and righteous life before God and before men. And so Elisha began to love Elijah dearly. And so we're not real clear how everyone uh, uh, came to know that Elijah was about to leave, but it's certain that everyone knew Elijah was about to be taken away, right? Everywhere they went, they were coming up to Elisha saying, 
do you know that, that your uh, master is going to be taken away from you? And he said, yeah, don't say anything. And so we don't know how they knew, but we know for certain that they did know it. And here's what's interesting to me as I begin to think about this. Remember Elijah, when we just read, Elijah kept trying to get Elisha to stay back. He said, you stay here, I'm going to go to this place. And Elijah said, oh no, uh uh-uh. where you go, I'm going. I'm not staying back here, where you go, I'm going. And the only thing that I could to think about to really comprehend this was, it was when I think about family who are dying. And, and perhaps you've experienced this yourself. If not, for sure you've heard of this. Whenever someone is in the hospital and death is close, and, and you know how like the doctors will say, I don't think they're going to make it through the night. Do you know what we do? All, we call all the family, right? And all the rushes into the hospital. Why? Because we want to spend those last few moments with our family member before they leave. And that's the way it was with Elisha. He was going to stick with Elijah no matter what. And as a result of him staying with him, before they came, after they came to the Jordan there, Elijah turns to Elisha and says, Ask what I can do for you. Ask what God can do for you. And do you remember what Elisha said? He said, I pray for a double portion of thy spirit to be upon me. Now here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that he wants uh, double of what Elijah has. That's not what he's saying. If you, if you get that, that's the wrong interpretation. What he's saying is, is I need a double portion of what all the other prophets have because Elisha knew that the moment that Elijah was taken away, that he would now become the leader of all the prophets in the land. He would be the one that would be set up on the pedestal. He would be the one that everyone's looking to for guidance, for direction, to for instruction. And he knew that for him, him to be in that position. He needed more of God than what he had right now. Now here's a truth that we can learn. I hadn't even got into my points yet. I'm on the porch. Amen. We'll get in the house in a second. But here's a truth right here. Great leaders know that great positions mandate great portions by a great God. Now y'all didn't get near as excited about that as I did getting it. Amen. Great leaders know that great positions mandate great portions from a great God. Listen, you show me a leader that is that is doing great things for God, and I'll show you the most humble person around who understands that the only reason that he's doing what he's doing or she's doing what she's doing is because God is in control of him. So Elijah comes to this point. He's about to leave. Elisha is there. He gets to see his Lord his master taken away, and he goes back, and sure enough, he is granted that double portion by demonstrated, it's demonstrated by him striking the river Jordan and it parting just like it did with Elijah. Now, here's where I'm going with this tonight. I believe with all of my heart that this world, I believe with all of my heart that America needs some Elishas. I believe we're beyond the point of needing some Elishas to rise up. I believe that it's time for the true men and women of God to stand up and be counted. It's time that we start making a difference in our schools. It's time we start making a difference in our workplace, in our society. Because i got news for you, friend. I don't care how much faith you got in a donkey or an elephant. That is not the salvation of America. I don't care how much you think Trump's going to do it, amen. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, salvation for America lies in some Elisha standing up and being the men and women that God's called us to be. 
So how did Elisha get this double portion? I'm glad you asked. Because you see, if you notice, they went to four different places on this little journey. And as I begin to look at this, and as I begin to dig into this Word, I begin to realize that every place that they went was significant. Every stop that they went, every location that they went to was significant in Elisha becoming the man that God had for him to be. And then I begin to translate that into my own life and translate that into the life of believers. And I realize that they're significant in our lives. If you're here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you are in one of four places. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer, you're in one of four places tonight, right here in this text. So are y'all ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know about this. So the first place that we see is found in verse 1, I believe it is, whenever we realize that they were at the place of Gilgal. Gilgal. Now I understand y'all are doing a little study through the children of Israel, and you're going to learn about some of this and other things as, as you get into all this. And most of you know the, the history of the children of Israel and the wilderness adventures and then the promised land. But, 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 but the city of Gilgal, this place of Gilgal, is important because this is the place of beginnings and the place of memorials. Now, you can go look up the place of Gilgal. It's first mentioned in Joshua chapter 4 when the children of Israel crossed over the Red, uh, the Jordan River. The Bible tell, tells us that God told them one person from each tribe to grab a large rock from the center of the dry riverbed and to carry that rock out of that dry riverbed and to place it over into a place called Gilgal as a memorial. So first thing that I want you to see, I'm, hang on to me, amen, we're getting somewhere with this. The first thing that I want you to see is that whenever the children crossed the river Jordan into the promised land, it signified a new beginning in their life. And when they placed those stones there in Gilgal, it was a memorial, a testimony of how powerful what God has done in their life. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Webster defines a memorial as something to observe or preserve remembrance. So the first thing that I want us to realize is, is that as children of God, if we're going to be the Elishas of our time, we've got to have a, the right beginning. Amen? You've got to have the right beginning. What are you talking about, Brother Craig? I'm talking about the fact that you can't be depending upon anything other than salvation through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you've got the wrong beginning. If you're depending upon your religion, if you're depending upon some prayer, if you're depending upon being baptized, if you're depending, depending upon this thing or that thing, listen friend, we can only be saved through the blood of Jesus. And if you're depending upon anything else, then you've got the wrong beginning. The Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Listen, my dear friends, I want you to know the only thing that will save you is Jesus Christ. For 25 years, I depended upon religion to save me. I did. 25 years. I was 25 years old when I first, when the Holy Spirit convicted me and showed me that I was depending upon my religious works. I was depending upon me living a good life to get me to heaven. And then all of a sudden I was confronted with Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 whenever Jesus is looking at a bunch of religious people and He says, Depart from Me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And it was at that moment in my life whenever I surrendered. Amen? Whenever I did like that song said just a few minutes ago, I had to die to my religion and come to Jesus the Bible way. 
And when I did, it totally changed me. No longer was I trying to work to do good. No longer was I trying to work my way to get favor of God. Now I was coming on Jesus' name. Amen. Now I was become, coming on His finished work. So you got to have the right beginning. Amen. And it better be a memorial in your life. You better get it settled. If you're not settled on that thing, then it's not established in your life. It's not a memorial in your life. Then you need to get that settled tonight. Amen. Because we've got to have the right beginning. Then you need to establish some memorials in your life. Once you get your beginning, establish your memorials. Y'all still with me? What kind of memorials, Brother Craig? Well, I'll tell you one. One of them is, this is the Word of God. You better have this established in your life. Because this world is doing everything it can to discredit this book right here. And if you're not grounded and if you're not secure that this is the voice of God, that this is God's holy word, that this is true, that there's no error in it, then you're going to be misguided, you're going to be misplaced, you're going to be deceived, and you're going to be carried by every little whim, every little wind that blows, you'll follow it. So you better get your memorial stat. What other kind of memorial? Amen? Well, how about holy living? Don't hear many preachers preach on holy living anymore, do you? But in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Can I tell you something tonight, ladies and gentlemen? Do you understand that if you're a child of God tonight, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, left glory, came to this earth. He didn't just die on a cross. I want you to understand something. He endured the wrath of God on that cross. He endured your penalty. He endured your hell on that cross so that you wouldn't have to. And do you understand, as a child of God, if you've come to Him in faith and you've cried out and asked Him to save you and give you a new life, be transformed, do you understand that for you to live a holy life is the very least you can do. It's the very least we can do. So that's just a couple memorials, amen? I'm sure there's there's plenty more, amen? I could preach all night, but we got to move on. So here's what I want you to understand. For us to receive the double portion that God has for us, for us to be the Elijah's of our time, we can't stay at Gilgal. Now listen to me. Far too many people I know, far too many Christians I know, stay at Gilgal. They get saved, woo, praise the Lord. Praise Jesus, I'm saved. I ain't going to hell, woo, praise God, I got a new life, woo, praise. And they sit down. They never do anything for God. They're never out there doing service for Him. They're never working for Him. They're not doing one blooming thing. They're just saved and satisfied. I call them pew sitters. They just get saved and sit down on a pew and think that's what Christian... Listen, friend, if that's all it was... Man, I, I can't imagine anything more miserable than just sitting on a pew. I'd drive myself crazy. Can you imagine getting saved and just sitting on a pew? No, man, God saved you for a reason, amen? Listen, He saved you to be a worker. He saved you to be a server. He's got big things for you, so you can't stay at Gilgal. you got to move on. The next place that they came to is a place called Bethel. Now, Bethel is the place of dreams. Hey, it's going to get better. Hang on. Amen. 
Bethel is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 12 whenever Abraham, Abram back then built an altar of God's where God, where he first worshiped the Lord, where he first worshiped God. And it's where God began to reveal to him all the things that he had in store for his life. And then we find that Bethel is also mentioned in Genesis chapter 28 as the place where Jacob met with God. Remember this? And he dreamed dreams of angels descending and ascending out of heaven. Do you remember that? And so what I want you to understand is that Bethel represents the place of dreams. It represents the place of visions. It represents the place in a believer's life whenever God begins to reveal the work that He has for you to do. Bethel's very important, my dear friend. I want you to understand something. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else, listen to what I'm saying. God has big plans for your life. You mean little old me? I mean little old you. God wants to do much greater things in your life than what you're giving Him credit for and what you're giving yourself credit for. God has big plans in your life. He wants you, He wants to reveal those things to you and He wants you to be active in doing that, my dear friend. Listen, I just believe this. God has a plan for every believer's life. He has a job for you to do. He has a ministry for you to do. And I believe not only that, but I believe He wants you to know what it is. Brother Craig, I just thought it's some mysterious thing. We never really know what... Now, now come on. Is, is that the God of this Word? Is that the God of the Bible where He's some mysterious thing up there trying to go figure out what I want you to do? Now, i got a bunch of kids. We've already established that. Amen? i got five kids. The oldest one's 21. The youngest one's two. I've been raising kids half my life. Amen? i got a bunch of kids and i got a bunch of boys. And let me just tell you how, how boys operate. You have got to be specific when you tell boys you want them to do something. You can't be gen- Girls, you can be general. How about cleaning that room? They'll go in there, they'll wash the dishes, they'll, they'll, I mean, dust, they'll do that. Boys, you gotta sit, boys, whenever that, you tell them to go take a bath, you gotta remind them to wash their hair. Y'all with me? Now, I got a bunch of boys, so I've learned to be specific with them. Now, if I want Tanner, let's say Tanner, if I want Tanner to take out the trash, I don't go in there and say, come here, Tanner, I want you to sit down right here, we, let's talk for a minute. I don't sit there and go, now Tanner, I got something I want you to do. Try to figure it out. No, no, come on, try to figure it out. Guess. Do I do that? Do you do that as a parent? No. If I want Tanner to take out the trash, you know what I say? I say, Tanner, take the trash out. Now. Right? In the Word of God, we are constantly reminded that our relationship to God is is, uh, like a father and a son relationship. And if we know how to communicate to where our sons understand, how much better is God at doing that? Listen, He wants you to know what He wants, what, what He has for your life. He wants you to do it because, He wants you to know it because He wants you to do it. He wants you to know it because He wants you to do it. So when He shows you the plan, when He shows you the vision, when He shows you the dream, catch it, grab it, possess it, and get busy doing it! But here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of people, man, they've been to Gilgal, they got saved. Bless God, I'm saved. Lord, hallelujah, I'm a born-again child of God. They get saved, and then all of a sudden, they get to reading the Word, and God will reveal to them what He wants them to do, and they go, I could never do that. And they stop. And that's as far as they go. And here's the truth tonight. Probably in this congregation tonight, 
somebody in here, God has spoken to you several years ago and has shown you what He wants you to do, but you still haven't done it. And tonight He's got His finger pointing at you. And He's saying it's time for you to get busy doing what I've already told you to do. So, to be Elisha's of our time, we can't stay at Gilgal and we can't stay at Bethel. The next place we see where these two men went or came to was a place called Jericho. This is exciting, amen. Now Jericho is known as the place of walls and the place of victories. I'm excited thinking about this part, amen. Listen to me, listen. The city of Jericho is found in Joshua chapter 6. It's the first major battle that the Israelites came whenever they came into the promised land. It is The city of Jericho was tightly shut up, the Bible says. They had huge walls surrounding the city. You remember the story. God gave instructions to Joshua. Six days you march around. On the seventh day you march around seven times. Uh, the priests blow the trumpet and the people shout and the walls come down. And they did, and they did. And God gave a, gave a great victory in the face of some mighty big walls. Well, can I tell you something tonight, ladies? These walls of Jericho represent walls of opposition. I don't know who started this heresy that whenever you become a child of God, that everything's going to work perfect in your life, that you're never going to have any problems, that life's going to be a bed of roses, that you'll have all the money you want, all the health you want, you'll never have any issues and nobody ever come against you. I don't know who started that junk, but it's not Bible. Because whenever you come become a child of God, friend, the battle's just begun. And if you don't think you're going to face some walls of opposition, then you're living in some land world. Amen? Because as children of God, we will encounter walls of opposition on a daily basis. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you're living a holy life and you're being the Elisha of your community, of your workplace, of your home, you will encounter opposition. And here's what I've discovered most of the time in my dealings. I've discovered that most of the opposition comes from inside the church. You let some old boy get saved, man, he's ready to go charge hell with a water pistol. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I want to do whatever. The first people that'll try to calm him down is church people. Oh, yeah. Oh, I guarantee you, y'all, y'all, somebody's had this conversation before. Oh, he'll calm down. Give him a while. He'll calm down. No, my dear friend, listen. We're going to encounter walls of opposition. They come all kind of different walls out there. Amen? I want you to know that you're going to encounter walls of disappointment. You're going to encounter walls of discouragement. You're going to encounter walls of physical pain. You're going to encounter walls of mental suffering. You're going to encounter walls of spiritual fatigue. But just as God brought down the walls of Jericho, if you keep trusting in Him, believing in Him and keeping having faith in Him, I want you to know, my dear friend, I'm the authority of the Word of God. Eventually, one day, your walls will fall. But it won't be anything that you do that gets them to fall. God's going to do it. Because if you could do it, you'd get credit for it. So God's going to do it. He's going to get credit for it. And you're going to get to shout in the victory. But here's how to be an Elisha. Learn how to shout before the victory comes. 
Oh, you see, it's real easy for us to shout once we get a victory. Woo! Praise God! Let me tell you what He did. But where are the Elishas who will come up and stand before the church and say, I want to praise God for what He's about to do, even though He hadn't done it, even though there's no sign that it's going to happen. I want to trust God for what He's going to do. That's having the faith of an Elisha. Amen? That's being an Elisha. But you know what most Christians do? They encounter some wall. They want to murmur, complain, gripe. We want to cry about our walls. Children of Israel were shouting about theirs. You want to be Elisha? Learn how to shout about them. Amen? I, I love that. You know what? Let me just say this. The world is watching us. And they don't really care how loud you shout when everything's going perfect in your life. They want to know how loud you shout when your world's falling apart. Because if you'll shout when everything's going terrible in your life, then they'll start taking notice and they'll go, there's something to that person there. How in the world can they still praise Jesus with cancer all over their body? How in the world can they still praise Jesus when their wife just left them? How in the world can they still praise Jesus when the children are rebellious? How in the world can they still praise Jesus when they just lost their job? How in the world can they still praise Jesus when the world is falling apart? Because we learn to shout from the victory and not to the victory. Y'all don't even get that, amen? we got to learn where our position is in Jesus. Listen, He's already given us the victory. Amen? In fact, the Bible says we're more than conquerors. Romans chapter 8 says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how in the world you can be more than a conqueror? Have you? Now, I can understand being a conqueror. Amen? I mean, I'm in a fight. I win the fight. I'm the conqueror. Right? I'm in a boxing match. I win the boxing match, I'm the conqueror. How in the world can I be more than a conqueror? Well, let's just say they selected me to go out to Vegas, be in one of those big bouts where the payout is $15 million. Now, I know I'm way overmatched on this little dude I'm about to fight, but I'm going to go for the money, amen? $15 million if I win. So I crawl into that ring, say, come on, boy, give me your best shot. Man, this dude's tone and fit and everything. Boy, we get after it. And would you believe, after 15 rounds of fighting this guy, when it come down to the end, the scorecards were red, and I won. Amen? And then they, then over there inside, here comes this guy holding this big old cardboard check. Amen? $15 million. And he comes up there and he goes, Craig Franklin, because you won this fight, here's you $15 million. Now I'm all black, black and blue, and amen, blood's coming out everywhere, and I got things up my nose and things on my, but I'm 50, I won 50, I'm a conqueror. And then all of a sudden, there's Kim, my wife, standing ringside. And she walks up there inside that ring and she says, I'll take that. And she takes my check. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? I was a conqueror. But Kim was more than a conqueror. You want to know why? Because she never had to battle. She never had to fight. But she still got the rewards. And we are declared more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because we understand that we don't have to fight. Jesus has already fought for us. He's already gave us the victory on the cross. Amen? We are more than conquerors in Him. So instead of just crying about it, amen, 
instead of crying about it on Facebook. By the way, let me just throw this out there. If you get the urge to type, or however you do it, if you get the urge to type, I'm going to rant. That ought to be your cue not to type what you're about to type. I'm just trying to help you be socially act, uh, right here. Amen? Listen, instead of crying about it on Facebook, you know what you ought to do? Shout. Just shout. Shout on faith. You want to be an Elijah? Shout on faith, believing that God will do it. And listen, your walls will come down and God will give you a great victory. But there's a danger here. Now listen to me. There's a danger here at Jericho. Because some people come to Jericho, they face a wall, and God gives them a great victory, and they want to stay right there and enjoy that victory for the rest of their life. I run into it all the time as I travel around this country preaching in different churches. When I do revivals, guarantee just about every time somebody come up to me, Brother Crane, this church, man, in 1966, we were blowing and going and the people were getting saved and we were out here doing this and doing that. and Boy, it was going on. God was giving the victory back in 1966. I said, praise God for what He did in 1966, but we need God today. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't live on your past victories. Look back on them. Thank God for them. Listen to it. It'll be a wonderful time in your life to look back and see what God did. But I got news for you. In this day and age, in 2016, you need God to give you a victory every single day of your life, my friend. You can't stay there. So before we leave Jericho, let me ask you a question. Because I guarantee you, somebody in here, you're stuck at Jericho. You've come against a wall and you've stopped. I don't know what that wall is in your life, but I'm here tonight to tell you that God wants to grant a victory over that tonight. And I believe He can. And He can move you past Jericho and get you back where you need to be in serving Him and and doing the things that He's called you to be. Finally, we see where they come to a place called Jordan, the River Jordan. Y'all still with me? Y'all enjoying this little walk through? Amen. We come to Jordan. Now, Jordan is the place of dedication and participation. Now, Jordan's mentioned back in Joshua chapter 3, whenever the children of Israel actually crossed the Jordan River to enter into the promised land. And by the way, the promised land does not represent heaven. Did y'all know that? It's not, it doesn't represent heaven because uh, in heaven there's not going to be any sin, Right? But there was sin in the promised land. There's not going to be any death in heaven. There's death in the promised land. Actually, the promised land represents a spirit-filled life. Amen? A child of God walking and serving God. He's going to encounter different things, but he's still serving God and still, still doing what he's called. So that's what it represents. So when the children of Israel crossed there, if you go back and you read Joshua chapter 3, you will see that God gave Joshua clear instructions. He said, you're to go get the priest, and they're to get the Ark of the Covenant. And they were to walk up to the water's edge. Now, if you go back and read, you'll see that the river Jordan was, a, was flooded at that time. It was beyond its banks. But he said, I want you to take the priests. They're going to lead to be the first ones in line of all the children of Israel. And they're going to walk up to the river Jordan. And as they step into the water, the water is going to part and you will cross on dry land. But the waters wouldn't part until the priests stepped in them. Now, the 
priests come up there with the ark. And I believe they're standing there with the ark of the covenant. However, they count. I don't know if they care like that or like that. But they're standing there at the water's edge, and the water hadn't moved. And it wasn't until those priests lifted up their feet, and I believe as they were about to come down into that water, that water parted, and they crossed on dry land. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that the Jordan here represents a place where we exercise extreme faith and participating in what God has called us to do. It's where we get totally dedicated to Him. You say, Brother Craig, I thought we did that when we got saved. I'm just telling you, friend, I know from my personal life and many other people, there comes a point in everybody's life whenever God's going to say, okay, you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this. Now, I want you to really trust me. I want you to step where you've never stepped before. I want you to go deeper than you've ever been before. I want to show you how I can use you in ways that you cannot imagine. And it's a place where we have to totally, 100% dedicate ourselves to God. So, where are you at? Because what I'm talking about here in this River Jordan is the difference between just being an average Christian and a sold-out believer for Christ. I'm talking about the difference between somebody that just goes to church every so often or or even on a regular basis and being a 100% on-fire, devil-hating, hardcore Jesus freak. I'm talking about the difference between just being an average Christian and being an Elisha. Because if we're going to change this world, if we're going to change America, if we're going to change Gina, Louisiana, then we better start being Elisha's. We better start being those 100% totally dedicated people of God. And see, here's what happens a lot of times. Somebody gets saved, man, they got their Gilgal, they got the memorials, God shows them a vision, man, they start serving God, doing that vision, and then God even brings them to a wall, and man, they sit back and they watch God give a great victory, and they keep on marching with God, and then they come to the Jordan and they stop. Because they realize that God's wanting them to go all in. They realize that God's wanting Himself completely out. They're realizing that God's wanting you to surrender all. Actually, my dear friends, the Jordan River really represents death. You see, to ever get saved, you got to die. Do you all know that? To ever really become a child of God, to be a born-again child of God, you got to die. you got to die to you. you got to die to your flesh. you got to die to you. And then there comes a point in every believer's life whenever you walk up to the river's edge and you've got to decide whether you're going to die to your plans, your ambitions, your dreams, your desires, and follow God or whether you're going to stay back. So I want to ask you, are you willing to die tonight? Are you willing to to die to you? Many years ago, there was an Indian evangelist. His name was Sanhar Singh. I'm just going to call him Singh. Amen? And he was uh, an evangelist uh, who was in India. And he was going, God had given him instructions to cross the Himalayan mountain pass to a village that had never been reached before. A village that they had never heard of Jesus before, but he had gotten instructions from God to cross the Himalaya mountain pass to go 
to share the gospel with this village. And so he enlisted a Tibetan companion who knew the route, because he didn't know the route, so he enlisted this Tibetan companion to guide him over the Himalayan mountain pass to this village to share the gospel. And as they began walking, as they got higher in elevation, all of a sudden the weather took a severe turn. Blizzard sets in, and all of a sudden they can't even see ten feet in front of them. And the Tibetan companion is saying, come on, we must keep going. We've got to make it over this pass or we're going to die. And as they trudged on with the blinding snow and the freezing temperatures, all of a sudden they begin to fight the sleep of death. You know, the sleep in the cold where you get so sleepy that you just want to lay down and go to sleep, but you never wake up. And so they're, they're trudging on when all of a sudden they come across a mound of snow on the mountain path. And it stops them for a second, and the Tibetan companion reaches down and he wipes the snow off, and they realize it's a human body. It's a man. And so they, they look at the, 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 the man, and the evangelist rushes over there, and he begins to feel of him, and they realize the man's alive. He too was trying to cross, and he had fallen asleep, and he was near death. And the Tibetan companion told the evangelist, he said, we've got to go. He said, we don't have time to fool with this guy. We've got to go or we're going to be like him and we're going to die. And the evangelist said, man, I, we, we can't leave this guy here. He's alive. We've got to do everything we can to save him. And the Tibetan companion said, no, man, I'm telling you, if we try to save this guy, we're going to die. And the evangelist said, I can't do it. He said, I could never live with myself knowing that I left someone alive on this mountain path. I have got to try to save this guy. And the Tibetan companion said, you're foolish, man. He said, you're crazy. He said, you can do whatever you want to. I'm going on. I'm going to save myself. He said, I'm telling you right now, if you try to save that guy, you're going to die. And the evangelist Singh looked at him and he says, well, that's a chance that I'll have to take. But I could never live with myself if I left this guy here. So the Tibetan companion said, you're crazy. And he disappeared along the path in the blinding snow. Well, old evangelist Singh, he reached down there and best he could, man. He brushed all the snow off the man. He worked his way around and got the guy up on his shoulders. And he began to pack him like this. And, and at first, man, it was really hard because of the weight of the man. And, and he was already cold and tired. But he kept pressing on, thinking to himself, I've got to do everything I can to save this guy. And then something strange began to happen. As he kept walking with this guy, he began to realize that he began to have a little more energy. And the more he walked, the more he realized that he was warming up. And all of a sudden it dawned on him that by him exerting the extra energy of carrying this guy, it was allowing more blood to circulate in his own body and it was actually warming him up and giving him energy and allowing him to keep going. And then all of a sudden he realized that with two bodies, with a body pressed against another body, that adds more heat. And that was helping to warm him up as well. And he kept going. Now he had a little step in his walk. And he's walking thinking, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus. And all of a sudden, the man who was asleep woke up. Now he was too tired, too weak to walk on his own. But he was awake and he says, you, you, you saved me, you saved me. He says, yes, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And all of a sudden, these two guys, energized by, by new life, begin to walk. And they round the top of the last hill and they saw the village in the distance. And he told, the evangelist told his guy, he said, we're going to make it. There's the village, there's the village. And at that moment, they come across another mound in the snow path. And he reached down there and he brushed off the snow and there was that Tibetan companion, dead. You see, Sanhar Singh, 
learned something that day. He was willing to die. And in his willingness to die, he found life. And if you're here tonight, if you're willing to die, you can find life. You can find life in Jesus for salvation. If you're here as a believer tonight, if you're willing to die to your sin, if you're willing to die to your pride, if you're willing to die to your wants and your dreams and your ambitions and your pride, if you're willing to die to you, you can find life too. And God can make an Elisha out of you tonight. So I ask you again, where are you? You still stuck at Gilgal? God showed you something you're supposed to be doing, but you hadn't done it yet? Maybe you got a mighty big wall in front of you, and it stopped you. Or maybe you're standing at the River Jordan. Brother Wayne, do you know how to operate that computer up there? Are you the computer guru? You are? Can you put back on that? Now see, I'm telling you, this is the way God works because I didn't, Brother Heath didn't know what I was preaching. Y'all didn't know what I was preaching. But Stacy, I'm going to ask y'all to come back up and sing that I Surrender All. And I want you to put up that slide up there that says something about what are you using your gifts for and it lists a whole bunch of things for service here, here in the church. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Pre-service slideshow. And it has a list of things that maybe God's calling some of you to step up and start doing some of those things tonight. I don't know how He's spoken to you. I don't know what He has shown you tonight. But I know this, that if you'll be obedient to whatever it is that He's speaking to your heart to about right now, that we can leave this place changed. And we can leave this place Elisha's. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word tonight.